0: If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to open with me to the book of Ephesians. Turn over a couple of chapters before, one of Paul's prison epistles. Uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. It's kind of on down the road, but letters Paul wrote while he was in in uh, prison. Uh, we have uh, and are currently going through a study in the Gospel of John on Sunday mornings here. As most of you know, and if you're visiting with us, we've taken a break from that. Uh, last week is Christmas and. Uh, this week being New Year's and just to uh, consider uh, some instructions Paul gave to the New Testament church on living. And so I thought it'd be good to just encourage us, encourage, remind us of these things on this New, new Year's Day. And next week we'll again uh, begin, or we'll get back into John basically is what I'm trying to tell you. Okay. So if you're wondering why we're in Ephesians, thought we were going through John. I'm not starting a new book. Uh, I thought about it for, never mind, we won't do it. Ephesians 5. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 15. Ephesians 5:15, And read down to verse number uh, 21. If you can follow along. Look carefully how then how you walk. to one another out of reverence for Christ, or uh, your translation may say out of fear of the Lord Uh, may say that instead of reverence for Christ, both are true. Well, that is God's uh, infallible word. Uh, We typically spend this time of year looking over our lives and trying to figure out if there's any way to be more effective in certain areas or or to get rid of things that were dissatisfied in our lives that we see. Now, some of us are, are like a gentleman I used to, to work for when I asked him one year what his New Year's resolution was. He says, I'm going to lose some weight. And I said, well, that's great. Are you going on a diet or a workout plan? And he says, no, I'm not going to do anything drastic like that. I'm going to, I said, well, what are you going to do? How are you going to accomplish this feat? You know, and he says, I'm just take one less bite of food uh, when I eat. Just one less bite uh, throughout the year should work. So uh, some of us, when we think about uh, changes and dissatisfaction, we are, and we know we probably should take some steps, but we're not really drastic in it. The rest of us are, are, uh, we're probably a little bit more drastic in the way we deal with these things. Uh, But nevertheless, most of us uh, have been familiar with either making resolutions or breaking resolutions, and for the majority part, it's breaking resolutions, right? At least 80% are... 91, depending on who you read. Well, for many, most of our top goals is health. We want to be healthier. We want to be more active. And uh, others uh, under that think of the areas of their finances. We want to be more stable, especially in an economy where we don't know what's going to happen. So how do we work on that? Of course, there's other goals versus picking up a new hobby, maybe basket weaving or whatever you want to learn to do. Uh, all these things are typically things in our life which causes us to think about where we are, and what is necessary and needful, and what would we like to see going on in the world we live in or in our life. And I think that is it is good for Christians to embark on a self-discovery like that. In fact, this provides us a great time of year to think about the gifts God has given to us. Uh, The resources that we have, the talents that he's given to us, and to consider uh, how we're using those and is there any way to improve those for God's glory and his kingdom. It's also a great time to think about the habits that we form and pick up in life and whether or not we need to break some of them or sins that have been constantly tearing at us where we need that extra courage or encouragement to set them aside so we might run our race with with endurance. Um, For some of you, you may see this as a great opportunity to challenge yourself by the way of godliness or to learn a subject or to study a doctrine or something like that um, to this coming year that you have always been interested in or that you have struggled with. In fact, I think think something uh, of the wisdom is seen in this in verse number 15 where he begins this A statement of saying, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. There's something about wisdom which tells us to take a a look or consider or think through your life and how you're living. The things that are coming out of your mouth, the actions that you're carrying out, what you're spending your time doing, all of it comes back to, to consider or look at or pay attention to the life you live. Wisdom presses us to do that. The Word of God here encouraging us in that way as well. Of course, verse number 15 is seen in in one of three statements of what we do not do or what we're not to do and what we are to do. And we see that don't be unwise, but be wise. He says uh, later on, don't be uh, foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Verse 18, probably the most famous in this section, don't be drunk. But be filled with the Spirit. So, Paul is trying to set for us uh, this morning a a kind of contrast which helps us to see it in in a fuller way, to to have a depth to his understanding. Uh, Not only are you to be wise in the way you live this life, but contrast that with the fools who are wasting this life or haphazardly or shipwrecking their lives. So, think through it through that lens. Don't just be filled with the Spirit, but contrast. That those who are being filled with wine, it's led to reckless living and debauchery and so on you go. So he's giving us this understanding. What stands out to me the most is his instruction where we'll spend most of our time in verse number 16. He says, we're to look carefully how you to walk, not as unwise, but wise. And wisdom leads us to this next implication. How do we do that? Well, we do it by making the best use of the time. Our time, the time we have, because the days are evil. God has given us a great and precious gift. And if we're honest, it is one of those gifts that he has given to us. We see the, the adverse uh, understanding of, or at least the, the recklessness with that gift in the culture we live in. To put it another way, if we're plagued with anything in our society, is the waste of time. The waste of An abuse of time, not just in society, but it happens in the church as well, doesn't it? Those who know Christ and are walking with him and those who do not. And here Paul is calling on the Christians and and reminding us on this New Year's Eve to consider our lives and make the best use of the time that God has given us. I want to kind of think through that with you just for a, a moment here in verse number So if you're taking notes, that would be the first point that I have, and that is redeem the time that God has given you. Redeem the time God has given you. That's the King James language, isn't it? Uh, We have the ESV, which pretty much is trying to give us the understanding, the market value of what the King James is saying when he says redeem the time, which simply means to buy back or buy up, to, to use profitably. And and so that's what the ESV and the NIV and other translations are trying to get us to see here, to, to make the best use of it. Uh, it you and I know that uh, we, we kind of deal with, we live in the reality of time. What I mean by that is we, our language is constantly, whether it's planning or thinking or or trying to figure out life, it revolves around a calendar of some sort. Now, you may not be an A personality where everything is listed, but you know what it means to say tomorrow. You understand the, the reality of next week and next month and next year. So, so when Paul is talking about time, we're familiar with it tomorrow, we're familiar with that language But the truth is, and and I think you know this, though we don't always admit it, we're unaware, we're not sure, we're not given how many tomorrows we can borrow from. If I could say it another way, we don't know how deep the well is of time that we're drawing from. God has not revealed to you and he's not revealed to me how many days, how many hours or minutes or years that I have left. We live this life in the moment we anticipate and expect and many times presume on tomorrow. But the truth is, we don't know how many tomorrows we have. Only God knows. God knows. But we do know that they're limited. Unless Christ comes back and in that case we enter into eternity. Uh, And then we enter into that outside of time. That's what eternity is, never ending. But at this point, we know, maybe not how many tomorrows, but we know that there will be one day, there will be no more tomorrow for me or you. Or our loved ones. So we know the reality of what it means to say tomorrow, but we're unaware of how many tomorrows we have. In fact, scripture draws this reference uh, in two illustrations given to us that life is like a vapor. You may recall that. And that vapor is just momentary. The sun comes up like the fog in the morning. The sun comes up and it is removed. Actually, we were Driving to Tennessee in December and most all the way to Tennessee is the craziest thing i ever ever experienced. Almost all the way to Tennessee there was a fog. That's 13 hours, by the way, (laughs) of driving and and fog, kind of, uh, and sort of nasty weather in that way. But you know what? It wasn't that way the next day. It was just momentarily. So that's what the the Bible is saying in that illustration. It's like the fog, which is here for a moment, then it's lifted up or like a vapor or... Or the beauty of a flower that is beautiful; it's it's pleasant to look at. You put it in a, a vase or a vase, depending on where you're from, and and you look at it. And what happens? You replace it because it dies. It is no longer. And some of you probably have dried those out. And Mary, when she was younger, and we were dating, had dried out flowers. Uh, And some of you maybe do that. But it's not the same glory. It's not the same beauty. Life is like this. And not only is it it limited in the sense, it is brief. Uh, It is brief. It it, it comes and goes along quickly, as many of you remind some of us younger people. Thank you for that, by the way. Where has all the years gone? Where's all the time gone? And isn't that what Moses, a servant of God, God, sang about in Psalms 90 when he says uh, to us, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Now, this is coming from a guy who's 120. Some of you guys are getting a lot closer to that than you are 70. So, I mean, you know, that's pretty good. Ed's in the middle right there, just just got in the middle of 70 and 80. So he's between reason and strength, I guess that's how that is. Should we stop and sing happy birthday to you, Ed? <laughs> A man who dies at 120. And some of you have long passed that by God's grace. And I don't know the life expectancy, somewhere in between 70 and 80 on average in America, but. But nevertheless, there there is a reminder, even as we see that in our midst, that there are many thousands and millions who don't make it into their 20s or 30s or 40s. Many young and strong, what uh, relatively seems like young and strong uh, men and women who, who very quickly are removed from us, reminding us even while our own experience Uh, anticipates many more years that reality shows us that it is no guarantee, is it? Our days are limited. God knows. to put it another way, life is short and brief. It is limited in that regard. And that's what Moses is singing about, isn't it? As he goes on and tells us, teach us to number our days and apply our heart to wisdom. If it is so short, if life is so brief and time is so limited and we're unaware of how much we have yet ahead of us, filled with toil and trouble, as Job would testify and Moses testifies about, then teach us to order it rightly, is what Moses says in Psalms ninety. I think that's what Paul is getting at in verse number 15 when he says, don't be foolish, don't be unwise like the fool who disregards wisdom and just lives recklessly without any regard to his own life and his own existence, but be wise. And he begins, be wise considering the brevity of your life and and the time that you've been given. Teach us, Lord, how to live according to knowledge and under standing. There's two reasons for this in Ephesians 5. One is a previous reason mentioned to us and the, and the next one's at the end of verse number 16. The first is uh, uh, the reason we're to buy back time or redeem time or make the most of time that God has given to us. Uh, we've seen because it's brief, it's short, we don't know how much time we have, but because we've spent a great deal of time going the wrong direction. In our former life. When we were outside of Christ. And he speaks about that. In chapter number 4. You might recall that. That at once we were walking according to the course of this world. under the power of Satan and, and all that in chapter number 2. According to our own enslaved to our own passions. Chapter number 2. God has saved us out of that. There's a pattern and a way of living. Which was normal. A, a use of of the way you conduct yourself in life, which was, which was the, the run of the mill. That's the way you did things. And he says, this is what God saved you out of. So where he found you, this is where he saved you. He redeemed you, he quickened you, he called you out of that lavish grace and mercy in Christ Jesus. Well, he brings us up again in chapter number 4, verse number 17, as he, as he moves from doctrine what God has done for you and saving you, what he brought you out of, to this practical aspect of living. What does this mean for life? And he begins in verse number 17. Now this I say in testifying to the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now how do they walk? Now by walk, you understand what he's saying, right? He's saying how they live, how they conduct themselves, their life. Involves their thinking, involves their conduct, actions, affections, attitudes, everything about them. He says you're not to walk as they do. Well, one... They were one of them. so what they were saved out of. And how does he define them? It's very fascinating. He says they were futility of their mind. they were walking around in, uh, without wisdom and futility of mind. And they're darkened in their understanding. Verse number 18. And alienated from life of God. Because ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They've become calloused and have given themselves to sensuality notice how he describes it greedy to practice every kind of impurity. This is not how you learn Christ. If so, you've been taught by him, he says, and we're to put off verse number 22, the old self. So if, we, if we're going to come to verse number 16 and chapter number five, and he says, make the most use of your time. There's a reality of a way you used to spend your life that you're no longer to spend your life doing and a way of living that you're not to give yourself or not to give into. So make the best use of time now. But there's another implication or at least a a reason that he gives us at the end of verse number 16. There's the old man and the old way of doing things that we're no longer to be part of. But notice he says, make the best use of time because the days are evil. The days are evil. I find uh, a quite um, a fascinating statement to be made and you kind of wonder what in the world he he means by that in fact every commentary you read has a different perspective almost on what he means by the days are evil it could be and I think there's some merit in saying it could be to pull us out of that hopeless state that we can easily slip into you know the ships burning and sinking and the world's going down with it so why does it matter why does it matter why do anything it's just all a lost cause it's all going down it's all dark why does it matter especially in the world that is rampantly wicked and seems to be getting worse and worse well it matters because it is evil and the world needs light it matters because it is evil and the world needs light. And Jesus even tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't he, that you're the light of the world. Let them see your good deeds so they may glorify your Father in heaven. The reality of darkness is, is the, the very reason why, and, and that way we need to make the most use of our time, the best use of our time. We need to redeem time because the world we live in is dark and evil. And it is not fixing itself. There's also another reason I think associated with that. Or another implication from this statement. Because the days are evil. And that is. uh, Time will not make the best use of itself by itself. In fact the gravitational pull of the environment we live in. is, Is trying to pull us in the opposite direction. So instead of improving and using time for the glory of God and for the betterment of mankind and others, it's, it's bringing us to a place to fall into the same pattern of wasting time or abusing time and using it solely upon ourselves. In fact, we are reminded in Romans twelve one and 2, and I think it rightfully applies to this as well as it does every other immorality, that we're not to be squeezed into the world's mold. You know that verse, right? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And our age is an age that prizes that which is temporal and that which is vain Versus that which is that has substance, and that which is eternal. We care more about the gratifications of our appetites, and have given ourselves more to idleness and waste than we have being productive, and useful, and glorifying God with our gifts and talents and energy and effort. And for the Christian, we. Must And it is right, I think, this time of year to to take a self-evaluation in that regard and, and ask ourselves, are we more like the world in regard to our view of life, our life, our existence and the use of our time, or are we more following in the lines of what the Bible is instructing us here? Are we walking in wisdom or are we walking in slothfulness and idleness and wastefulness? Isn't it remarkable? And don't you think that even inside the church, and when I say devices, don't think I'm just saying cell phones, but they they fall in line with that, but that we in the church are enslaved to the same fears, vices and devices that the world is. We presume upon time and we uh, and that presumption leads us to put off things we should do. And, and, and to think that there will always be a tomorrow just like the world does. And I think wisdom urges us to make the most of our time. Because it is limited, it is short, and what we do really matters for eternity. Do you believe that? What you do here and now matters for eternity? Well, I know you've heard that over and over but it is it is a great reminder isn't it to hear one more time. Well, if I could put it this way, each of you, if Christ should delay his coming this year and the Father let you remain here, will have 524,160 minutes this coming year. That's a lot, isn't it? You should just put that number on your on your wall when you get home. 524,000 160 minutes now out of those minutes there's a lot of things that you have planned there's a lot of things that are unavoidable there's a lot of things that you'll face this year that are up in the air and what I want to encourage you and what I think Paul is instructing the church here is is looking at that that God has given us that which lays ahead of us that we might live with purpose And make every opportunity or take every opportunity that God gives us to serve and love and trust and so forth. Live with purpose, make the most of your time. Now that may flesh out differently for each of us how that looks in our season of life. But the truth is, you don't have any more time than I do and I don't have any more time than you do. It's just what we do with it. I read something that made me sick, and I wanted to share it with you because misery loves company, okay? (laughs) Say thank you. You can thank me after the service. The average American will spend 37 days straight without sleeping on social media this year. Or at least they did last year. 37 days straight without sleeping on social media. That's a lot of scrolling, isn't it? Now, that's YouTube, Facebook, and TikTok, and Instagram, and Twitter. and Is there anything else out there? Uh, that's all of them combined, but two and a half hours of your day will be spin up, which is a total of 37 days on. Now, some of you that are younger, that number is significantly higher. Those of you who are girls versus boys and all that, the, the, the variations change. So, on average, adults included 37 days straight on social media, you'll spend on an average American 54 days straight without sleeping on your phone. Now, some of you be like, no, I won't. And I almost, just out of spite, for those of you who said, no, I won't, that don't have a cell phone, don't know how to use one, meant to look up how long and how many hours you'll spend watching sports and everything else that you do and watching Fox News or CNN, hopefully not. But Nevertheless, that's terrible. I'm not biased. I think you ought to turn both of them off. though. Um, But on average, 54 days without sleeping on your phone. And how often have we heard that statement, I don't have time? I don't have time to do this or do that. If I could just contrast that consumption with social media and phone use, the average reader can read through the Bible in 65 to 75 hours. That depends on who you're looking at. So I went with 70 hours. That's to read the Bible straight through. Almost three days you could read the Bible straight through. 15 minutes a day for a year and you could have read through the Bible. Some of you young people that have never attempted to do that, never have accomplished that, and and even older people, consider what are you doing with your time? Surely taking a few days off social media, I mean, you got 37 to spend. Take three days off of that and read the Bible. What I'm saying is, think about the life and, and the perspective and, and the way we use time and use it for the glory of God. Use it wisely. Because you don't get any more when it's over. And at the end, well, there's many things we'll regret doing, but we'll never regret using our time wisely and living our life wiser Let me give you a few ways in which <clears throat> make the best use of our time. One, draw closer to God. Out of five hundred and twenty-four thousand one hundred and sixty minutes, spend some of that, if not the bulk of it, I would say, if in what ways is possible, pursuing and drawing closer to God, praying and being in the Word and and worshiping God with believers and spending that time filling your your mind and thoughts and lies with, with that reflection and reality and, and likeness of who God is. Bible studies. Some of you are like, I don't know where to start with a Bible study. Well, come. We've got plenty of them. You hear that. You know, We announce them every week. Come to one of them. Uh, we offer that for you. There's many things you can do online as well. Not only use your time in drawing closer to God. And isn't there a promise with that? Draw near to him and he'll what? Some of y'all have read that, haven't you? He'll draw nigh to you. I would say pursuing Christ. And by that I mean pursuing godliness. What Paul talks about, that which is profitable, is the same thing as pursuing Christ. Growing in godliness is growing in Christ-likeness. Spend your time meditating and reflecting on his character and his nature found in the word of God. Uh, read a good book reflecting on the gospel and what Christ has done for you. gentle and Lowly. I have plenty of copies in my office if you want one if you've never read it. Uh, Ed's reading through a book. I'm dabbling in it. That sounded bad, didn't it? Uh, by John Stott, The Cross of Christ, which is a must read, a good read. You need to think through that more. What I'm saying is Paul says his whole life is summed up with that whole idea that I may know him. So use your time wisely by pursuing Christ. Thirdly, I say we use it wisely by knowing and serving others. Remarkable, we could be so connected in technology and still be so absent and lonely physically. Uh, Get to know someone. Ask them questions. uh, Pray with them. Encourage them serve one another and so thankful for the many ways i see that going on here make the best use of your time in doing good as opportunity arises that's what paul tells the in fact to the tide uh to crete to the titans not the titans to crete he tells them over and over do good learn to do good be devoted to good works do good uh, as the opportunity arises. And I'd say also live in light of eternity. Live with the reality of what you do now and how you live now it really does matter for eternity. Now, these things are not accomplished accidentally. You don't just fall into these things, do you? Those of you who have, have built a, a series of spiritual disciplines in your life know it takes a time and it takes effort and energy to do these things. But what I'm saying is, even when we consider here in verse number 16 make the best use of your time it's not done out of your own strength Uh, it is the spirit of god working in and through you in fact jonathan edwards wrote in his famous resolutions the beginning of that in the introduction let me read it for you being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. And so it is no surprise that he moves from make the best use of your time to verse number, uh, to know what the will of the Lord is, verse number 17 and verse number 18, be filled with the spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, which is debauchery. Now, there's a lot in that verse in verse number 17 i just want to say this christian liberty is not an excuse for gut or in this case drunkenness god did not set us free so that we may indulge ourselves in the sins of this world he's not talking about christian liberty here what he is talking about is excess and abuse And maybe because that was one of the practices of pagan worships in that day, and that's how they worshiped with all the sexual immorality that goes along with that. But there's also something going on here that he is trying to get us in the contrast, in the comparing of drunkenness and being filled with the spirit. And one is, you know, you see the outcome of someone who's under the influence of alcohol, don't you? Sometimes they tend to be clingy and huggy uh, and, and... Ultimately, in what he's saying here, it leads to debauchery or a degradation of moral character and reckless living. That is sinful. And he says, Do not do that. But in the same way, you know those who are under the influence. ...of the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit... ...is not getting more of the Holy Spirit. He's a person, either you have the Holy Spirit... ...or you do not have the Holy Spirit. In fact, we read in chapter number 1... ...here, that part of the work of salvation... ...is being sealed with the Holy Spirit. He takes up his home inside of us... ...in verse number 13 of chapter 1. It's not a second work of the Holy Spirit... ...which has sometimes been argued... ...or a baptism of the Holy Spirit... Which has been argued here is not talking about the Holy Spirit in quantity. Not in that way we think about it. Like I got like a quarter ounce of the Holy Spirit. But I want a half a cup of the Holy Spirit. He's not baking a cake. Right? So what does he mean. That we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I think it's best understood. In the fact of the Holy Spirit. Having more of us. Not us. More of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit working more thoroughly and broadly in our lives, conforming our character into the very character of Jesus Christ. It's one of the things He's doing. It's a purpose He's indwelling us, to seal us until the day of redemption and to conform us, to make us what we were not originally or could of ourselves be, and that is like Jesus. Does that make sense to you? In fact, in this exhortation to let the Holy Spirit's influence fill us or spread throughout us is more in the sense of us yielding to the work of the Holy Spirit and his change of our character to be more like Jesus. Now let me give you a cross reference to this. You can turn over with me to Colossians. We read it uh, in our opening up. Verse number 16. Now pretty much he's saying the same thing in a different way. Throughout this chapter 3 here to the Colossian church. Verse number 16 says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another. In all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. With thankfulness in your heart to God. What is he instructing them to do? Is to let the word of God dwell in you richly. It doesn't mean simply know more about the bible i think that's helpful he's not meaning necessarily be good at bible trivia which is kind of fun if you know more answers than the, the other people at the party right maybe they'll play that tonight i don't know we'll be excited for that when we had uh bible trivia what was abraham's second wife name anyway so he's not saying that. What is saying is, let the word of God take up home, residence in you. Let it, let it come in and make its abode in you. And let it rearrange the furniture of your life. You get that, right? When you move in, you rearrange furniture. You paint a wall. You knock out a wall. Whatever you do. Some of you are very familiar with that kind of idea. Let God's word shift and shape who you are going to be. Let it change you that's what james says right we look in the law so we may change by it not to remain the same and that same way he's saying let us let the word of god change us mold us reshape us into the image of christ and and by implication verse number 16 let is to say that you and i can hinder that progress do you believe that How do we hinder that? Well, there's probably a thousand different ways we hinder that, but you can starve yourself from the word. You can be ignorant of it, and by that, I don't mean an insult. I just simply you not know what the word says, and and by that lack of exposure to the word, the word of God is not able to take root and work in areas of our life. You need to, you need that word in you, and so we might hinder that work by by neglecting being in the Word, starve ourselves from the Word, but we also may neglect the Word of God dwelling in us richly, doing that transformative work by resisting the Word. That's simply saying what kids say sometimes and sometimes what we adults say sometimes when we're asked to do something. No. God speaks to us through His Word and He talks about maybe it's loving someone or forgiving someone or or giving or whatever it is and then we read that we understand what it's saying we see and feel the holy spirit convicting us because we're short in that area and so what we do in response to that it says no thank you or the more spiritual approach and the, the poor use of time we we say well maybe maybe i'll read that again tomorrow and think about that more how many of you ever done that nobody really I thought I at least have one fellow companion in this world. But what have you done in that response? Well, you've not taken every opportunity and you've not been walking by the Spirit in that regard. You have resisted the Spirit's work. And so you have basically, in in putting off, have rejected. Or we might hear the Word and we forget the Word and so on. It goes in the same way, being filled with the Holy Spirit, we hinder it. In these same ways we handle the word because the spirit of God takes the word of God and works it out in our lives to conform us to the son of God. In fact, the very outcome we see in Galatians 5 is the fruit of the spirit. What is the spirit? How do you know you're walking in the spirit? Through the spirit, right? How do you know you're walking in the spirit in Ephesians here? It's a good test to think about in your own life. Look at it with me in three ways he gives to us. Just stepping outside of these house laws, beginning of verse 22. There's three ways he gives to us. People that are walking in the Spirit are singing, making melody in their hearts. That's what he commands them, right? Be filled with the Spirit, singing. Making melody in your hearts unto the Lord. Singing one to another, encouraging one another in song. Not only are they singing... And I would say that's a good habit for all of us to consider picking up, surrounding yourself with good, godly music. And we are so blessed with such a rich uh, resource and well to draw from as far as good, godly uh, music. But he says, those filled by the Spirit are singing, addressing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, making melody in their heart with the Lord. It's a, Verse number 20, not only are they singing, but they're thankful those who are filled with the Spirit are thankful um, to God in all things. Uh, always, he says, and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know in Thessalonians, that is the will of God that we give thanks. Let me just ask you this. Have you saw in your life a, a, a sense of Gratitude? Are you living with a, a thankfulness because of what God has done for you and how he's working in your life? Or have you sensed, and, and it happens to us all, I presume, have you sensed a, a spirit of um, a, of kind of meanness, bitterness? Ungrateful in some ways, is, is there that tugging at us? And isn't it is a reminder that there's some areas in our life we're not being filled by the spirit. We're not trusting God and letting God's word work in our lives. He says part of being spirit filled leads us to thanksgiving thankfulness. And the third thing he says is submission. Twenty one, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You're not spirit filled if you're not submitting. Submitting to the authorities and relationships God has given to you. He goes on and mentions that. But also submitting and serving and loving and caring for one another. How do you know you're spirit filled? Or you're rejoicing in the goodness of God, you demonstrate a thankfulness for what God has done for you, and you are, you are coming under the authority that God has given you, submitting and serving one another. What I'm saying, and you go back to the beginning of this, and what has really stood out to me in remarkable ways, God has given us a precious gift. This life, this moment, now and who knows by God's grace maybe even this coming year and we are reminded encouraged as we face this year that God is faithful uh, to provide to strength to comfort to to be good on his promises and in that that faithfulness part of the the challenge to my own heart and the part that uh, of a challenge that I'm setting to you is that let us move into 2024 with purpose With resolve to use the time that God has given to you. However much God gives us for his glory and his kingdom, and the good of others. Let us make the best use of the time that we have because the days are evil. With that, let's do it being filled with the spirit. Father, we thank you for this morning that we can gather together. Thank you for this day you have given to us. Thank you for your great provision. And I pray, God, if someone here this morning does not know you, there is no appropriate use of the time you give us in this life that is, that is devoid of putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You said now is the time of salvation. Today is that day. And I, I pray that they would even even now come and pray, bow down and put their faith and trust in Christ. Father, I pray for all of us in the way you've been working and molding our lives and the different seasons we're in. God, would you help us to better steward this precious gift you've given to us, this life you've given to us, for your glory, for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.